Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yes, guys, welcome back to a Canon podcast special. This is a tactical A to Z, because we're with George. A to Z or A to Z uh, <laughs> for this side of the Atlantic. Um, very excited to do this. We've had a lot of requests um, to do this. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting into it. So essentially what we're going to do is we're going to take sort of, well, we're doing the first half of the alphabet. There will be another part at some point. So I think we're doing A to M, is it? Yeah, doing A to M. Um, and picking out uh, phrases that you might hear George say on the podcast, you might have heard in uh, other sort of contexts as well, and just kind of unpacking it, unpacking each one as we go, uh, question, questioning it, seeing its application, trying to unpack it, because I think, and maybe this is a good place to start, this language can seem really technical, but I think once you've kind of mastered it, once you've, and some of you maybe, you know, you might have heard of all of these, some of you might, might have heard of none of these, uh, some of you might think like, oh, I've sort of heard of that, but I'm not quite sure what it means. Wherever you're at, I think a proper understanding, and even for me as well, because there's a few words here that I'm I'm, I'm, I'm looking at, I'm going, do I know what that means? Um, properly unpacking it, I think is, I don't know, for me, it helps to take sort of my understanding to another level. And I think once you, it's, it's like any field, once you understand the technical uh jargon it becomes more fun you can be you can sort of always put words to things that you felt but didn't necessarily know how to extrapolate on do you know what i mean no absolutely i think uh part of the reason is that you've got this almost uh i don't want to to sound like uh pompous but there's there is a level of like literacy that i think intimidates people when you use these terms Big time. and and you've got this entire phenomenon on twitter that's talks about quote unquote tacticos and You've got like a sneering, but I think mm. a lot of it comes down from, it's not ignorance because that's almost insulting, but it's just a lack of knowledge. And do you know, I think whether you're somebody that enjoys this part of the game or somebody that doesn't enjoy this part of the game, I just think that understanding more parts of it makes you more rounded yeah, in your 100%. opinion, whether you use them or you don't. And I think, you know, it's kind of one of those things of the age that we're in. Information is so available but yes. actually the ability to to put it across and explain it and you might have seen something you know might, you know 30 years ago we probably wouldn't be using any of these terms but we see people who have so so much oh, i see i can only speak for myself i see people with so much knowledge using jargon that i sort of go oh that sounds that sounds interesting let me let me look at that and some people are kind of put off by it some people are are not but we are going to keep this fun this is going to be fun don't worry don't worry this is going to be a fun pod um what i think we should do george is obviously uh, George is a do you mind me saying a, a UEFA licensed coach so George uh, George knows all of the uh, all the technical jargon and, and and how to define it. I think a few of these I'm going to try and define and then you can correct me and tell me how wrong I am. Uh, but most of them I will let George define and then we'll sort of um, 
we'll just sort of uh, start questioning it and seeing its application A to M. As I said, there'll be a second part at some point, uh, but promise this will be fun. This will be fun. Uh, Okay, let's start with A. Very good place to start. I think you can have a go at this. Okay. This is this is this is something that I think we experience quite a bit um, in football. So I think you can have a go. I'll, I'll introduce this one. So okay. we've got terms of angle manipulation and uh, not touching balls. Not um, touching balls. Not touching balls. So I'm hoping you can get this or auxiliary or angle bias. They all fall under a similar umbrella. Why don't you tackle the first one, which we'll talk about okay. angle manipulation and bias because they're kind of linked together. Sure. So angle manipulation, layman's fan trying to learn uh, terms, I think refers to essentially the usage of the ball, um, specifically in terms of manipulation, in terms of how you uh, orient your body, in terms of how you orient your your team and your teammates to essentially uh, exploit different lanes or channels in another team. So for example, and that's quite jargony, but essentially the idea of like, okay, um, can we uh, ask a teammate to step back a little bit to create an angle on in this corner of a, you know, in the half space or whatever it is? Does that pull a centre back out that creates an angle for a pass or whatever it is? It, really, it's quite a simple thing. It's essentially trying to manipulate the opponent to move around. But I appreciate that might, there might be a couple of senses of, of angle manipulation. And angle bias, I'm going to try and define that as well before I come to you for the, for the real real definitions. Angle bias, I think, is to do with a player themselves and the types of passes they like to to play, the types of receptions they like to do, that sort of stuff. Am I let's let's just do angle manipulation first. Am I along the right lines? Absolutely. I'd just say really simply, it's how you approach the ball at an angle, and it can be done well. It can be done poorly, and so you have um, probably one of the more famous Mikel Arteta clips. Um, and it's all to do with your body position, how open you are to the opponent and to you trying to receive and making sure that you're able to move players simply by the shape of your body. If you're yeah. closed off to uh, opponents that are maybe open, you restrict the passing lanes that you're going to. So angle manipulation is just somebody that's constantly available and opens their body to see the entire pitch in front of them. So and- I, th- I think that Saka clip is a, is a really good example of this. Can we, can we talk through that? Yeah, no, uh, the one at, at the weekend, the goal. Well, we could do that, but also we, I'm referring to the one where he's, co- I think Arteta's coaching for FA Wales and he's talking about wh- how the player receives it. That's exactly can, where I was yeah, going. So go for it. Yeah, so essentially, I'll just do a refresher if people haven't seen that video, but you know, Mikel Arteta with Wales when he was going to do his coaching badges was talking, how does a winger um, receive a ball um, effectively? So typically, if you're going to go with kind of your butt facing with the opponent kind of covering into you and you're facing square we call it which is just really shoulders back to goal and if you approach play that way you really only give yourself an opportunity to play a recycled ball because you're not leaving yourself open to playing forward in one motion you do have to turn so if you're not angling your body that way or manipulating quote unquote your body to do that You're not allowing yourself to speed play. You're not allowing yourself to take the ball in motion and um, continue forward in the best way. And so what they just do is they just simply say, okay, let's see, let's face it head on, which just means angling your body vertically. We're going to open our body instead of being square, but to your opponent to on the side. That way you're able to A, hold off your marker, but use them to roll and effectively create 
the contact so that you can carry the ball forward in one motion. You're not stopping the ball, recycling it, yeah. turning it. You're saving touches. This is something that Mikel talks about a lot, right? A lot of players who have worked under Mikel talk about is the idea that it's about, that I think I remember Pablo Mari when he left, he was talking about, Mikel taught me a lot about the moments before I receive the ball, I can get an advantage yes. on my opponent by preparing my body to to do the next motion. So let's say I know I'm going to send a pass over there. There's a way I can receive with my body angled in a certain way, manipulating the angle. Again, you know, it's a, it's a technical term, but it, it does make sense. Receive in a certain way so that makes that next action just that second easier. And we know the fine margins of football, these tiny things. Can body manipulation also refer to how you sort of interact with the opponent as well? In terms of, yes, it's how you receive the ball, but it's also, I'm going to angle my body this way to make my opponent think that I'm going to do another thing. That's what I understand it as. Yeah, and that's kind of, I would say, the in-possession passing uh, component of it. Mm. And there's no one better than really Thomas Partey to really talk about angle manipulation. I would say he's one of the gold standard that we see. And I think this one's a little bit tougher to define because it's a little bit tougher to teach. And this has a bit more to do with your technique striking the ball. And, you know, in technical terms, it's brushing, quote, end quote, striking through your laces. There's different ways that we can hit a ball in coaching terms. And angle manipulation is just somebody that's able to really comfortably sell or disguise their passes in very simple terms. And so their ability to break lines, which just means playing a ball through multiple people, through a channel of bodies, and being able to sell it, not telegraph or basically make it obvious where you're passing to. And so that ability to really um, change where people are in their block, which we will ironically define next, which is just the defensive shape, your ability to change that is an angle manipulation. And we try to find angles that are bigger in really simple terms. The smaller the angle, the tighter the space, the less options you have. So it's all about options here. Whether you're facing two square, whether you're facing on the half turn, it's about expanding your angle of play, your ability to play. In simple math terms, if I'm square, I've got a 90 degree angle. Whereas if I'm on the half turn, I have 180 degrees to work with. And you know, I think when you talk about Thomas Partey, people talk about 360 degrees of angle manipulation. And that just means this guy is really good about turning. <laughs> yeah. He's able to see passes everywhere. So yeah. this is just an easy way to try to maybe make these technical qualities simple. Mm. It's yeah. about finding space. How do I effectively do that with my body? How do I effectively do that with my passing? Mm. Yeah, and I think this is this is one of the things about like why I like learning these terms is because you kind of know, you inherently watch someone like a Tiago Cantara and you know yes, that he has perfect. like a 360 degree. You can't quite explain it, but it is, it's how he uses angles. And I think, yeah, how he prepares his body before he he takes the ball, how he uh, manipulates opponents around to create certain passes, passing angles, how he manipulates blocks. Also, I think a team can angle manipulate as well in terms of how they s- spread themselves, in terms of how they set up. So yeah, it's, it's kind of a, a bit of an umbrella. So let's just quickly finish up on angle bias as well. If I was to, to say to you, uh, who a player doesn't have an angle bias, what do I mean? Um, a lack of angle bias, um, it just means that somebody is able to receive in any situation. That's that 360 vision that we're talking Mm. about. Angle bias, and I don't do this as a critique, but it's best to, I find, that's the definition, but when you tie it to a player, it's easier to see. Yes. And for example, 
Martin Odegaard, again, I don't like to do it, but he is somebody that's very one-footed, somebody that himself, he has difficulty in terms of turning onto his right foot, for example. There's a particular angle bias to him, which is why a lot of people find him in the right half space, because being so left-footed, if he's on the right, it opens the entire pitch for him. If he is somewhere else, it's a little bit more difficult. I think if you were to look at somebody like Santi Cazorla, that is the perfect definition of no angle bias yeah. to, to kind of link it to somebody that, you know, we all know well. Yeah. And that's the thing. I think with, often with these things, it's taking them out of the kind of cerebral wordy space and just putting them on a player and just going, you, you see that you watch Santi Cazorla, you feel yeah. it. It's just, you just feel that he, he could go anywhere. And that's kind of what it is. Um, yeah. Final one on a George is auxiliary. Now this is one yeah. of the terms that I just think, is this a bit of a waffly term? It's a bit. It's a bit of a waffle. It's the close. It's one of the closest ones I think on these lists. To could we use a different term? But you, you, you go ahead and define it. If I was to say Maitland Niles became an auxiliary central midfielder, what, what am I referring to? Um, an, an additional midfielder. It yeah, really exactly. is more. It's just it's more. It's just it's where he steps in. This, you know. Yeah, I'll be honest. Like auxiliary just means side. To it, auxiliary center back. A side center back, auxiliary midfielder, a side midfielder. Like it's just an additional player. I think people just use this term because I don't want to be rude, but there's a level of trying to sound smart in terms yes. of trying to put it in. There isn't yeah. a a footballing impact of saying auxiliary. Now, yeah. look, I I'll hold my hands up. I've used it because it's in the sphere and it's what people talk about. Yeah. But it's in the same way that people use um, interior. Mm. for example yeah interior and exterior i think you know interior is is just somebody on the inside but i'll tell you no coach uses the word interior to describe a central midfielder this is the this is the funny thing and maybe you can kind of shed light on this as well it's like i wonder how like if you went if you did like coaching badges day one right and Mm. you turned up and you're like oh is he becoming an auxiliary midfielder there coach is looking at you like shut up he's going into the midfield just just say he's going to be another midfielder in this bit like it's it's okay Mate, people <laughs> laugh but the sean dyche uh get the ball put it in that yeah. end and stop it going Keep in it this end. End is put it in that end. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> look there's look there's the jokey part of that but you know what i actually think uh chappie alonso is brilliant at this doing brilliant at leverkusen and if you read or listen to his interviews he talks quite a bit that he doesn't talk about build up in numbers, a 3-2, a 2-3, all these things that we use to describe. He talks about getting players into zones that they prefer and talking about maximizing qualities. Mm -hmm. So if we do this where the ball goes to the right, how do we make sense of, quote-unquote, Sadio Mane's pace, if he had it? How do we do those things? And they talk more in broad strokes as opposed to position descriptions, I think. but yeah, I would just end on, I don't think auxiliary is something that, you know, you'll encounter too much beyond it just meaning a side position. People, people trying to sound smart on the internet. Auxiliary uh, forward could be a second striker. It's just another. Uh, another, yeah. Block. We moved to B and we've, we, we didn't, we've, we have got more than one for some of them. We we were trying to think of more. If you think of another one and we can come back to it maybe in the I've second got, part. I've got some, I've got some please. you know, that we can do it on the spot as I was doing this because I love to, uh, you know, not to do this little spontaneously. But B, for example, we talk about block and we'll go through it. But there are a couple B terms that I think are pretty common that we actually should define. Oh, go on. Um, and I'm going to be really simple first because I think block is something more technical. But how about blindside? The amount of times blindside. I've said blindside. I have that down, run. but yeah, go on. 
So a player who's on basically the blind side is kind of in a position where the defender just can't see them without turning your head. Think of it when you're driving a car. You have a blind spot, and it's the exact same way in football. I mean, if plays on the right and you're looking towards the right, the person to your left or the marker to your left is on your blind side. And so it's a really common term, and I think um, they can lose focus on the ball if they're not able to in scan effectively enough, which just means yep. moving your head to constantly check and get a picture around you. We don't we don't necessarily have more than one for everyone, but if you think of one that, that comes up, and and also in the comments, if you if you think of stuff that we've, we've missed, then please do write uh, write it in the comments. Uh, B, but we did have block high, mid, and low block. Do you want to take that? Do you, yeah, you that? I could do all these, George, all of them. Why am uh, I here? In <laughs> in simple terms, I think a block is essentially your defensive shape out of possession and where you're stood on the pitch. Now, this is related to your opponent. So, for example, Arsenal, always relate back to the team, Arsenal tend to sit in a sort of 4-4-2, you might call mid-block. It's kind of, it depends on where the ball is, depends on where the other team is, but a lot of the time you're going to see Arsenal in a 4-4-2 mid-block. There's a brilliant video of Arsene Wenger yesterday talking about how 4-4-2 is the best uh, formation in terms of coverage because you have 60% of your team covering 60% of the pitch um, and other formations out of, um, out of out of possession don't necessarily do that um, it's a really good interview if you want to go watch that but um, yeah a block basically refers to your defensive shape and you can have a high block meaning the, the team is further up the pitch or towards their opponent's goal uh, mid block further back and a low block where your, your Jose Mourinho sat, sat on your edge of your penalty area is that about right I think that's about, yeah, for sure. And I'm going to try to start simple and I'll get a little bit more complicated as I kind of go. So very simply, a block describes a team's defensive shape. <laughs> and it can be uh, characterized by how, line, how high their line is. When we talk about low blocks and mid blocks and high blocks, how high is that line? Mm. The deeper it is, it's a low block. The more up towards the middle third, it's going to be a mid block. And then closer to the halfway line, in theory, high block. That's that's the basic terms of it. Now, in terms of a low block, really specifically, a lot of times their defensive line are close to their own goal, often inside the penalty area, right? There's not a lot of space that is done between the defensive back four and the midfield three or two or whoever, however many midfielders you have, but the spaces between these lines or units of the football team is very short. And it's often very close to your own penalty area. And you'll find that attacking players will often only engage with people inside their own half. That's what we describe a very typical low block to be. Um, in terms of a mid block, a little bit more complicated because it's a little bit less easier to define. It's a little bit more that they definitely sit inside their own half, but the midfield unit engages higher up the pitch and they're not as, they have bigger spaces between the midfield and the defensive unit. Um, and they're able to kind of progress the ball near or towards the halfway line. I like to always describe Benfica as the classic mid-block team. And we've kind of seen that in our experiences with them in the Europa League. And I think a lot of European teams in general adopt this mm. mid-block quite a bit. But usually that defensive line is more 20 yards, I would say, 25 yards away from goal. Whereas a low block is characteristic of teams that like to sit within the 18-yard box area. High block? 
high block is get it high like Mikel. Uh, <laughs> get it towards the halfway line. Camp in your opposition half, essentially. We don't really use the term high block because we normally use high press. Yo, press and we yeah, talk about it a little bit more. But yeah. in theory, yeah, the high block is basically defending at the halfway yeah. line. Yeah. And I think it, the, the thing I'd stress to me uh, is more about, you know, you hear people say, oh, Mikel plays a mid block. And you go, it depends on the scenario. I think you'll Ooh. see Arsenal a lot in a mid block because of where we play on the pitch, where we ask, ask teams to play on the pitch against us when we're out of possession. But I also think it, it kind it kind of does depend, you know, you think, oh, Everton are a low block team. It's like, it, it does depend what sort of phase of play they're in, what they're trying to do, how they're trying to promote the opposition. A lot of it is related to to the opposition as well. Let's move forward, George, to see, and you all know what's coming. You all know what's coming. Would you, once and for all, define counter-press? No, central running power. Okay, genuinely, I was actually going to ask you this because I actually, as I'm reading this list, the, the counter-press is part of another definition. It is. It's kind word. of another word for so, something else. So maybe we so should So let's move talk it. about that in that sure. section. Sure. And let's actually isolate. I have another term if you want to see, but I will Go define on. my favorite term um, first. And um, actually, you know what? I'll, I'll say it to you so that you have a chance to maybe think about it. Sure. So we can talk about... Um, I like to talk about channel very simply. Channel. What is a channel? Yep. Um, and I'd love to talk about collapsing because it does relate in terms of a lot of defensing principles. So Lovely. channel and, co and collapsing. Didn't have any but of these central, on the list. We were sat there before the pod going, have we missed some? We absolutely You know have. what it is. Once so you get on. into it, I, I kind of go in and I was like, I wasn't ready, but now you open my nerve mind and now it's yeah, all coming. Here we go. So, so central go running power. This is a George V AFC exclusive. Someone this has asked something. what the V stands for in George V AFC as part of the tactical A to Z, George. So you know what? stick around for part two and you'll find out. <laughs> yeah, there we go. And that's where we got to cut it. So editor, yeah. cut that YouTube, for the free part. Uh, there we go. Thanks for checking out the Canon podcast. To hear the full episode, sign up as a YouTube member on this channel or go to patreon.com forward slash the Canon pod. Sports Social Podcast Network.